Welcome to the CMC Podcast, where our mission is to inspire you to be a doer of the Word. Today's message is brought to you by our associate pastor, Paul Kern. Well, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, we're in our series on the kingdom of God. Jesus explained the kingdom through parables. Over and over and over, he gave us all different kinds of stories that would basically uh, accomplish two things. To those that were not entering the kingdom, they were mysteries. And to those that were entering the kingdom, it helped them have a deeper understanding of the truth of the, of the kingdom of God that Jesus was trying to get them to understand. So we're going to be looking at uh, just a handful here in Matthew chapter 13. The parable of the wheat and the weeds will be one we look at. The parable of the yeast will be another one. Also the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. So we've got several here that we're going to be looking at. So in Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start with verse 24. It says, here is another story that Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like, and so, so this is how Jesus starts out most of his parables. The kingdom of heaven is like. So basically, because the kingdom is spiritual, okay, we have to have something in the natural, tangible, that we can relate to and understand. So Jesus will take a natural example through a parable so that we can get a hold of a spiritual truth in the kingdom of God. So he starts out, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. Well, when the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. Well, the farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed, it's full of weeds. Well, where'd they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer explained. Well, should we pull the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat too if you try to pull up the weeds. Let them both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and I will put the wheat in the barns. So the specifics of this story made a whole lot more sense to the people who were hearing it in that day than in our day, okay? Because, you know, we just, there's probably not a whole lot of farmers, number one, in the building. And, and number two, culturally, um, you know, we don't necessarily go and sow weeds into people's gardens anymore. But this was not uncommon in Jesus' time. When one farmer wanted to sabotage another farmer, he would go into his wheat field and he would sow Darnell weeds into their wheat field. And Darnell is like, it's, it's a toxic weed. It mimics um, wheat. As a matter of fact, can't really distinguish the two much at all when they are in their infancy and they're kind of coming up out of the ground and growing young. And, but then as they begin to mature, the fruit looks different, okay? And you can distinguish between true wheat and false wheat based off of how the fruit looks, right? So, and, and Jesus had to explain this to his disciples. He had a sharp bunch, let me tell you. So he says, as we're looking at him sowing this, so Darnell is, it, it's poisonous. As a matter of fact, I mean, if you, 
eat too much of it, it can kill you. So that's not something that a farmer wants getting mixed up with his wheat harvest, right? He, that's an undesirable thing to be in there. And, and so the, the, the workers understood that, and they're like, hey, you want us to get this stuff out of there? It makes good sense, right? Let's go now. Let's get it out so that we don't risk somebody, you know, eating some of this stuff or getting some of this in the, in the wheat harvest. And the farmer said, no, wait till they both mature so that you can distinguish between what is true wheat and what is false wheat, okay? Because really, in their infancy, it's going to be hard to tell. You, you don't really know for sure, and they want to remove it. But the farmer, you know, he, he's afraid that they might mistakenly pluck up some good wheat in the process of, you know, trying to find what is bad and what is is good and so just no leave that that's not your job let the harvester separate it when it's harvesting time okay so these workers they have a role to play and then the harvesters have a role to play and there are two different roles here so after Jesus and the disciples leave the crowd if you looked at verse 37, he explains to them the parable, okay? He gives them the, the understanding. And so he answered, he said, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Okay, this is Jesus. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. Now, the harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. So we got all the players, right? Everybody's been identified. We clearly can see what Jesus is, is talking about here. So it says, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So there's a lot of really important things being revealed here. Number one, there's a heaven and there's a hell, right? That doesn't get preached much anymore today, you know. And, you know, people say, well, we don't really believe in hell. Well, if you believe in a heaven, you've got to believe in a hell. If you believe in a, in a, in a good, you've got to believe in a bad if you believe in a right, you've got to believe in a wrong, right? If you believe in just, you've got to believe in unjust. Everything has its opposite in life. And so we don't get to pick and choose. Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God, and he is making us aware of what the end of days are going to look like and what is going to take place. So, so we as believers don't have to be unaware. So once again, it's important for us to know that Jesus is describing the kingdom of God. And even though Jesus is very clear in explaining the parable to us, a lot of people misinterpret this passage, believe it or not. And it's really plain to read, but a lot of people don't get it right. I've heard sermons that attempt to use this story as an illustration of the condition of the church. I've heard this preached several times in my lifetime as a Christian in the last 30 plus years that I've been walking with the Lord, saying that they're both true believers, wheat, and false believers, weeds, in the church. And, and that may be true. I'm not saying that there aren't uh, weeds growing in the church. Don't, 
you know, we all have weeds even in our own personal lives, right? That we work at every day weeding up. You know, my attitude has, uh, is a weed and my moods is a weed, right? So we, we all have that and we recognize that. And so that part is true. But, but the landowner tells the servants that, you know, don't pull up the weeds in the field. Leave them until the end of the age. And as, and as we're talking about this, if you look at, at verse 38... Jesus distinctly explains that the field is not the church. The field is the what? It's the world. Now, there's a big difference between the world and the church, okay? So Jesus isn't talking about the church. Jesus is talking about those outside of the church, those that are in the world. And the landowner tells them, don't pull up the weeds in the field. Leave them until the end of the age. So if the field were the church this command would go directly against what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 18, which tells us how to deal with unrepentant sinners that are in church, right? Because Jesus gives us a teaching on how to deal with unrepentant sinners that are in the church. They're to be put out of the fellowship, and they are to be treated as unbelievers. And that's, you know, a whole other topic for teaching but Jesus makes it clear, you don't allow people who are living in known sin and they are unrepentant. In other words, they recognize what they are doing is wrong. They are not going to change their ways. They have or they deny that what they are even doing is wrong. You're not to allow them to continue in fellowship with you. You are to remove an unrepentant sinner from among you and treat them as an unbeliever. Well, how do we treat an unbeliever? Well, we're called to walk in love, right? And we're called to try to win them to the heart of the Father. We're not to despise them, disdain them, look down at them, be ugly to them. No, we walk, we walk in the Spirit. We have the fruit of the Spirit. We treat them just like we would anybody else that we run into that may be unsaved at Walmart or a waiter or wherever right so so this is what Jesus is teaching us but Jesus never instructed us to be unapologetic sinners and, and, and allow these un, unapologetic sinners to remain in fellowship in the church he never taught us that so in the explanation of the parable Jesus declares that he himself is the sower okay the son of man he is the sower and he spreads his seed that's true believers we're his seed right he sows us into the world. That's what he's doing on our jobs, in our schools, with unsaved family members. You know, we're the, we're the true seed that he's sowing into, into the world. And that, that is how true believers bring the presence of the kingdom of God into the world, right? How would the world know about the kingdom of God unless they see the kingdom of God within our hearts, and that's where the Bible says that the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is where? It's within us. See, Christ lives in us, and the kingdom and the fullness of the kingdom is, is in us. And, and our whole pursuit is to realize the fullness of that kingdom and then allow that kingdom to manifest its expression through us to everyone that is around us. So the kingdom of heaven, it's, you know, it's like a field in the world. And Jesus said... The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he meant that the spiritual realm, which exists on the earth today, is side by side with the realm of the devil. 
You know, I remember after I went through Applied Life Leaders Academy, our internship here many years ago, back when I was a lot younger, and um, I got a job doing air conditioning refrigeration because that's what I did before I came here. And I, that was my trade. That's what I went to college for, and I just continued to do that right after I got out. And when I went to work for this company, there were about 20, oh, 22, 25 men total uh, electric and air conditioning. There were two different sides. And so they were, they were about split down the middle. There's probably about 11 or so on the air conditioning side and about that many on the electrical side. And so I worked on the air conditioning side. And out of that 11 or so guys that worked in the air conditioning side, two of them were saved besides me. Now, at that time, I was around 25 or 26 years old. The two that were saved were in their 60s. They were the older men who were the bosses who ran everything. Everybody else was my age, and they were all lost. And, you know, that didn't bother me a bit because I hadn't been saved all that long, right? I'd been living for the Lord for about two years, so, you know, I knew what that life was all about. I, you know, I got awards for being a sinner. <laughs> I was one of the best ones out there, right? And so that didn't bother me at all, and I, and I related to those guys, and I understood their lost state of mind, and I, and I recognized that God had planted me as a seed in the field of the world. And I was so grateful for that opportunity, you know, and, and to be able to be an influence for the kingdom of God. And so this is what Jesus has done. He plants us. And so the kingdom of heaven comes to its realization. Heaven, heaven's going to be a reality one day, and there won't be any weeds, Right? Jesus said, all the weeds are going to get bundled up and they're going to get burned. And the only thing that's going to remain is the true wheat. But in the meantime, there are weeds that we have to be aware of. And so the enemy in the parable is Satan. Obviously, when we know Satan is in opposition against Jesus, the devil tries to destroy the work of Jesus by placing false believers in our path, false teachers in the church. And in the world, you know, I, I, I've uh, read different religions. And, and you know, one, one of the things that was really a hot topic back in the 80s when I first moved here was the New Age religion. And, you know, we because, you know, here in, in Arkansas and especially in this area, there's a lot of crystals. And, you know, you can mine for crystals. And, and New Agers, you know, they believe that that crystal is like psychic antenna. And they they channel psychic energy is what they think, right? And so, um, you know, I, I remember back in the late 80s, uh, you, you know, in the early 80s, you could buy one of those, oh, crystals for, you know, a couple of bucks at these stands. And then in the late 80s, when the New Age movement really blew up, and all of these Hollywood people were getting into it. And, you know, you got, you know, Shirley MacLaine and all these different folks were really getting into it. You know, those 2 and $3 rocks, they were now selling for a couple hundred dollars. And the people that own these businesses, businesses here locally, they were more than happy to sell them and uh, made a lot of money off of those rocks, which were absolutely, totally useless. They're just rocks. You know, those are idols. The Bible talks about false gods, false idols. They're just dead rocks. They do absolutely nothing. Well, I mean, you know, they may be pretty and they reflect light and you can see the colors and the prisms and all that, which is great. But as far as doing anything for you spiritually, no. They do absolutely nothing for you spiritually. 
So, you, you know, here we see these false teachers, we see false believers that cause other people to be drawn astray. So here's what I want you to, to focus on here. It's not our job to pursue them and expose them. Because we've got a role, and the harvesters have a role, okay? We're not to pursue such people in an effort to destroy them. For one thing, we don't know if, you know, immature or innocent believers might be injured by us going after them. And, you know, it, especially as believers, we've got to be really, really careful. And, you know, I, I, one of the things that I think, and this is just a personal opinion of mine, I don't really think we're called to go on witch hunts and point out all the faults of other people in ministries and things like that. Number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 describes what love looks like. And, you know, it talks a whole lot about record keepers and fault finders, right? We're not supposed to be that. Um, we're supposed to believe the best and, and look for the good. But, you know, I just don't see anything good coming out of trying to go around exposing those things, those things are going to take care of themselves. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll reveal themselves for what they are eventually anyway. So why go around? You know, it's kind of like our media today, and, and, and you know, I, I don't really watch a whole lot of it. I have been a little bit lately just to keep up with what's going on in Ukraine, but I don't really give a whole lot of my time to news channels and all that stuff just, just because... They go after the negative. They magnify the negative. They're, they're always looking for something that's broken, something that's wrong, something that they can point out. And, and clearly, I don't see anywhere in Scripture that that's the job of a believer. Listen, we, we can learn from past mistakes like the Spanish Inquisition, which I think was a, a really, really bad thing that happened in Christianity as they were trying to root out, you know, all of these, the crusades, I think is another example of them, you know, going on witch hunts and trying to root out bad people, you know, trying to separate true believers from false believers, in other words, okay? And, and, and that task, I think, is reserved for God, at least from what I'm reading here. And I think when we start trying to root out false believers, we run the risk of possibly hurting immature believers in the process. You know, because sometimes there is going to be immature believers, and they're just not there yet. They're working at it. They're trying. But, you know, they're a long ways off from being the mature wheat that they need to be, right? You know, as a matter of fact, they could even look like they were false wheat. When in all reality, they're true wheat. They're trying to be true wheat. They're just not there yet. So Jesus tells us, you know, just let them remain until I come back. And then let me take care of that part. My angels will separate the true from the false wheat. All right, let's go into the parable of the yeast. Verse 33 through 35, he uses this illustration. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that a woman used in making bread. And even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. 
Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when he was speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. So let's talk a little bit about yeast. Oftentimes in the Bible, yeast symbolized sin, okay? Lots of times that, you know, a little leaven, a little leaven will leaven the whole what? Y'all have heard the term, one bad apple will spoil the whole bunch, right? But this is a different situation here. So yeast is microscopic in size. And, you know, only a little bit is needed to permeate a whole lot of dough and to leaven a, a, a whole lot of dough. Given time, even though it's just a little bit, given time, it'll permeate through the whole batch of dough and it'll leaven the whole amount. And in the same way, the kingdom of God, and especially when Jesus first started preaching the kingdom of God in, you know, in his 30s, you know, think about the, how that started out. Small. Jesus picked one, and then he picked another, and then he picked another, and then he ended up with 12 that he picked. Not, not much at all, but look at what Jesus and these men accomplished. It's all that the kingdom of God has leavened the entire planet. The name of Jesus is preached, the symbol of the cross is all over the globe, even in outer space, right? I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. So the kingdom influence started with 12 obscure men in the corner of Galilee, but it spread throughout the entire world. And this is really encouraging to me, and I want to tell you why. And you, you guys probably have felt this way before yourself. Do, do you ever feel like, as a Christian, that you know, the little bit of influence that you have just seems microscopic compared to the world. It's, you, know, you know, I'm helping some people. I, I'm trying to live a godly life. I'm trying to represent Christ well. I'm, I'm trying to do my part, you know, in my little lump of dough that God's given me to leaven. But, you know, sometimes it just feels like your contribution is just so tiny in the scope of the big lump of dough of the world so to speak right but here's the thing that's so encouraging about this Jesus took just a few men on the other side of the world over and over you know can anything good come out of Nazareth right I mean just it, it was a very insignificant even little town that he came from but look what happened and so this is describing to us the kingdom of God because Yeast, it's microscopic, yet it leavens a whole lump of dough. It's, and when I say microscopic, you can't even see it. You don't even see it. And so I think back about my grandmother and my mother. And, you know, Hetty knew my mom. And I think about my grandmother and my mother praying over me to be saved when I was lost and just was an enemy of God. I mean, wasn't living for God for anything. Didn't want to have anything to do with him. And my little grandmother, who was all a four foot nine, 
You know, she had like four pillows that propped her up just to get her head over the steering wheel enough where she could see when she was going down the road. You know, she had blue hair. She was one of those little old ladies. And, and then my mom, and, and, you know, you think about, okay, here they are praying for me, and it's almost like, well, what can that do? Well, it did a lot. It did a whole lot. And so I just want to encourage you because I think sometimes, you know, my contribution, my little prayer, my input, my conversation that I had with this person, I just feel like that's so insignificant. That's not going to make a bit of difference. But listen, listen, your job is to sow. The, the leaven of the kingdom, it's built in. It will expand. It will happen. You can't stop it. I mean, the Holy Spirit's been called the hound of heaven. He chased me down. I tried to have, come on, who can testify? He chased you down. You try to run from him, but you can't escape. Once that seed, and that, I, I love what the scripture says, you know, to us parents, you know, it talks about, you know, train up a child in the way that he or she should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. Well, it doesn't say while they were young, they won't depart from it. No, they probably and could possibly depart from it. I departed from it when I was young. But, but the, the leaven's in there, see. And you can't get it out. And there's no way that you can get it out. And so the, the Holy Spirit does that work, all right? So not only is that we to be faithful with that lump of dough that God's given us, we have, we have to be careful that we don't worry about the dough of the whole world. I, that's too much for me. But what I can do is I can be faithful over, over the dough that God's placed in my life right here in my community. That, that won't overwhelm me. But I start thinking about the whole world. I, I, I can't do all that. But I can be faithful with what God has put in front of me today. The person that I encounter today, the, the person that I am having a conversation or having lunch with today, the family member that I'm talking with today. See, I can be faithful in those situations, and I can sow that leaven in there, and I can see that leaven begin to do that work. The second thing that I, that I want to talk to you about and it's important to recognize is that bread can't leaven itself. It can't. And in, in the same way, we can't manufacture change in a person's heart. You got to know what your job is, and you got to know what the Holy Spirit's job is. Your job is to add the leaven. The Holy Spirit's job is to permeate the dough and to affect the transformation that takes place in the heart of a person. See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We introduce Jesus into people's lives, and God begins the process of influencing them through the Holy Spirit. And it's really important that you know the difference. You know, I remember when I first came here in, in Tim's office, he had a picture that was framed on the wall, and it said, two immutable laws of the universe. One, there is a God. Two, you're not him. <laughs> right? But, but don't, don't we sometimes tend to take on the pressure of trying to change people's hearts? I mean, we want it more than they want it. 
we want them to get their life together way more than they do. And, but, but what happens is, is we, can we can try to kind of come into their place and we start taking all this anxiety and this worry and this pressure and this stress because they're not where they need to be and they're lost and they're in all these problems and what's going to happen? And boy, we just worry, worry, worry. And Jesus clearly said, do not worry. He said, pray about everything. Don't be worrying about anything. And so once again, we, we sow that leaven into people's lives. The, the kingdom of God exerts its influence from within, and it works its way out. So any change that's going to happen in anybody, and especially for those of you that are parents, and I'm, and I'm not saying you don't need to have um, you know, structure and rules and, and things in the family. I think that's important, especially when kids are, are really younger, but... but, but Change is going to come from within, not so much being exerted from without. The, the leaven permeated the dough, and as it made its way all into the dough, then the change manifested itself on the outside for everybody to see. And so yeast makes dough rise from within, and the Holy Spirit makes us rise from within not necessarily from without. So God changes the heart of a person, and then that, that internal change is manifested externally, right? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one that made me want to live an honest life, to make, that, that influenced me to love people, to turn my back on the way that I was living and not want to be in darkness anymore, but want to live in the light. The Holy Spirit did that within my heart. So the gospel's influence in culture, it works the exact same way. Christians within a culture act as agents of change. Yeah. See, we're change agents. That, that's our job. And we slowly transform culture from within. And once again, I, you know, I, I just, I don't want to um, overlook the importance of prayer. Because you can have an airtight argument, you know, telling somebody about Jesus and the gospel and the truth. It can be airtight. It can be the best things you've ever preached in your whole life, and that ain't going to change anybody. They'll still continue to argue with you. It, it's through prayer, right? That's how that change begins. And I'm so grateful that I had a mother and a grandmother that, that prayed for me. As a matter of fact, you know, I, the, the real change occurred to me is when my mom quit preaching to me and just started praying a whole lot for me. <laughs> it all fell apart. It got really, really bad. But it was really, really good that it got bad because ultimately that led, led me to Jesus. So you just have to remember your job what your job consists of and what your job doesn't consist of and what God's job consists of. And, and secondly, you've got to be patient. You know, the Holy Spirit, it takes time. <laughs> And some people say, well, I've been praying for years. How much more time does it take? Well, <clears throat> all I know is I'm, I was never told to give up. When I read Luke, Jesus says, you are those who pray and not give up. And he gave us examples of that through the man coming to his friend's house at midnight to get bread. And he kept knocking, or the woman with the unrighteous judge who came day after day, and she finally got what she wanted but she didn't get it the first time and I'm sure the guy with the bread didn't get it the first knock right you know it was that persistence um, that that made the change possible so change sometimes is impossible to see 
You know, you're praying for people and it just gets worse before it gets better. But over time, if we remain faithful, that yeast of the kingdom will work its way in. All right, let's look at the last one, the hidden treasure and the extraordinary pearl, starting in verse 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Now, in both the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl, Jesus wants us to understand the real value of the kingdom and prioritizing the kingdom in our life. Okay, there's some important things that are being communicated here. In both parables, the characters recognize the treasure that they found and they're willing to sell everything to get it. Everything. All their possessions, all the worth that they have in their life because of the value of it, right? It's so valuable, it's worth everything that they have. And so... Here's what Jesus is communicating to us. The kingdom of God and your relationship with that king is way more valuable than your house. And it's way more valuable, listen to this, it's way more valuable than your pet poodle. Oh yeah, I mean, it's going to be a crazy day when we stand before the Lord and he said, you, get, you spent more money on your pet poodle than you did the kingdom of God. That, that's going to be eye-opening for some people. See, the kingdom of God is more important than our car. It's more important than anything else. And he, this is why he tells these two stories here that we can recognize. See, these characters, when they, when they recognized the treasure that they found, they got rid of everything to possess it. And, and for me, the thing that sticks out the most about these parables is, is we have to remember that there's a cost associated with following Jesus. And I don't really know if that's something that gets preached all that much anymore. But, you know, for me, when I first got saved as a young adult, following Jesus cost me a lot of friends. Right? A lot of friends. Following Jesus, it cost me some opportunities to do some things. I've seen people who, because they followed Jesus, it cost them a job. Right? That it, you know, following Jesus for me cost me some family relationships for a number of years. Now, some of those have been redeemed, uh, praise God, and, and, and I'm thankful for that. But, but, but see, we have to understand, to, to, to truly be under the rule of Jesus, we will constantly make sacrifices all the time, week by week, month by month. We will constantly make sacrifices to live in his kingdom and to live under his rule. Every day we're faced with opportunities for obedience. We all get to make decisions. You know, am I going to be obedient in my attitude? Am I going to be obedient in my, uh, you know, how I handle my, my finances, my taxes, my friendships, my relationships, how I handle my private life, what I look at, what I listen to, who I spend my time with, what I meditate on. See, these are all, every day, we have these opportunities for obedience. And sometimes that means that you've got to be willing to, to even surrender 
perfectly good things out of a love for God. It's not necessarily that it's a bad thing. It's just not the best thing. And we talk about this a lot in our internship. You know, good, you know, good is the worst enemy of best. It could be good that you do that, but is that best? And if it's not best, now good is the worst enemy of best. And, and you know, for, for many of us, the devil is not going to tempt me with a line of cocaine in front of me anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm past that point in my life. The devil's not going to tempt me by taking my gun and going up and robbing a bank and getting money. That's, that's not where I'm at anymore. But what he will do is he'll take something that is seemingly good and tempt me with it so that I might miss the best that God has for me and people in my life. So, you know, the, the kingdom of heaven might cost us relationships. It might cost you a job opportunity. It might cost you some security. For, for some people, it even cost them their lives. You know, there's been people who've been martyred for following the Lord. There, there's, and it still happens today, believe it or not. Thank God that we don't deal with that type of persecution in our country, but it is still happening in places. So in these two parables, Jesus wants to encourage us that there isn't anything that we can give up in this life that is equal in value to his kingdom. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, he gave us a picture. He said, you, you can't even put them on the same scale. It doesn't even compare. It's such a lops, lopsided comparison that it doesn't even compare. Now, I want you to notice this. Look, look there at that verse again. And it says, when, when that merchant found that pearl... He stopped looking. When he found it, he stopped looking. That, you know, that hit me. I, I was thinking about that. I was going, okay, this guy, he found the real deal. See, when you find the real deal, you're done. I don't need to go to any more clubs. I don't need to look. Money isn't going to do it for me. Vacations isn't going to do it for me. Another wife isn't going to do it for me. Another husband isn't going to do it for me. Three more boyfriends or girlfriends isn't going to do it for me. The, drug, whatever. It, I, I am done. I found it. See, he stopped looking after he found that, that pearl. And this, this one extraordinary pearl far outweighed anything else that he had in life. And so he just said, that's it. I found it. I, I mean, I've got what I have been looking for. And when you encounter the real Jesus, the search is over. It's over. And I just encourage you tonight, if your search isn't over, then you need to meet the real one. Because, you know, there are false Jesuses out there. You know, they look like the real Jesus, but they're not the real Jesus. If you want to know the real Jesus, read his parables. They're in the Bible, and, and he will teach you what he is like. But when you encounter the real Jesus, and, and so now your job, get this, once you found it, now your job is to protect it at all costs because it's valuable. And there is a thief that is out to steal it. And we never get to a place, and I don't care who you are, you never get to a place that you're not susceptible to the thief stealing Jesus from you. Because he can do it through 
a tragedy, a, a great loss, a great offense, a wound, a hurt. He, he'll do it any way that he can to rob you of the pearl the, the, of Jesus. He'll do anything that he can. So your job, once you find it, is with all diligence, you've got to protect it, and you've got to watch over that, that relationship with Christ because, for us, that's the most valuable thing in all of life. And, and, and you know, it, it, and if it's not one of those things, it'll just be through distractions, just other things, hobbies, stuff, worldly things. Once again, they're not necessarily bad in themselves. They're just not best. Does that, does that make sense? So let me end in this. We're learning about the kingdom of God this year. We're learning about its value. We're learning the, the principles and the patterns of the kingdom because, you know, everything that God does, he does according, to a value, uh, does according to a pattern that's based on a principle in his word. And when Jesus is, is speaking these parables to us, he's revealing the patterns and the principles of the kingdom of God. And as we take these patterns and these principles and we apply them to our lives, then they produce kingdom results in our lives that we're wanting to get. Amen? Did y'all get something out of this? Stand with me. Let's pray. We'll close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for the truths of your kingdom. And Lord, help us to protect Protect that kingdom that lives within our hearts, Lord. Every day, God, help us to cultivate that kingdom, to nurture that kingdom, to feed that kingdom, and to spread the news of that kingdom to people around us. Lord, help us. We need your help. We can't do it without you. We need your help. Holy Spirit, tonight I just lift up people who are struggling, those that are facing sickness, those that have family members that are lost or even in their own personal lives, they're battling God. I pray by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you touch them supernaturally. I lose healing in the name of Jesus to everybody in this room. I command prisoners to be set free, prodigals to come home, lives to be changed, hearts to be captured by you, Father God, tonight. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the CMC podcast. If you'd like to watch our sermons live or looking for more information about our church, visit cmcchurch.com or follow us on Facebook at Christian Ministries Church.